1: Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Knudsen, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I talk with Ken Adams, an expert in the world of contract drafting on how to master the language for clear engineering contracts. But before we dive into the civil engineering conversation, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for this show, PPI. Now, if you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the Leader in Civil Engineering Exam PREP. Now, PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Just use promo code CIVIL at ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. I'd like to introduce our guest for today's engineering conversation. Ken Adams occupies a unique position in the field of contract drafting in that he's literally the only commentator that focuses on the language of contracts not what you express in a given contract provision, but how to express it in modern and effective contract language. His book, A Manual of Style for Contract Drafting, Third Edition, is widely used throughout the legal profession, and he gives seminars in the U.S., Canada, and internationally and acts as a consultant and expert witness. As part of its Legal Rebels project in 2009, the American Bar Association Journal, which is the flagship magazine of the ABA, named Ken one of 50 leading innovators in the legal profession. And the Legal Writing Institute awarded Ken the Golden Pen Award for 2014 to recognize his exemplary work in contract drafting. And finally, Ken's blog was named to the ABA's Blog 100 Hall of Fame in 2015. Ken's taught contract drafting as an adjunct professor at Hofstra University School of Law, the University of Pennsylvania Law School, and the Notre Dame Law School. And after graduating from the University of Pennsylvania's Law School in 1989, Ken practiced corporate law in New York and Geneva, Switzerland with major U.S. law firms. So in this conversation, you're going to go deep into the realm of contracts. And let's do that now with Ken Adams in today's Civil Engineering Conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Now it's time for this week's Civil Engineering Conversation, where we talk with Ken Adams about how to master the language for clear engineering contracts. Ken, welcome to the show. Hi there. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I think before we dive into the deep end with contracts and some of the ways that you might want to enhance our abilities in in contract drafting, I think it would be really great to hear a little bit more about your background and how you. Became the go to guy for clear language on contracts.
2: I was a foot soldier in the big law firm world when, about 20 years ago, I thought it'd be interesting to look into what makes contract language work or not work. That quickly started capturing more and more of my attention until it reached the point about 10 years ago when I stopped practicing law and devoted myself full time to the contract language stuff. That might sound like a pretty dismal prospect, but I actually find it enthralling. And to my continued amazement, I'm the only guy on the planet doing what I do. So now I consult with companies looking to improve their contract templates and their contract process. I do drafting clearer contract seminars around the world. I maintain a blog, and I've written a book, A Manual Style for Contract Drafting, that's now in its third edition.
1: It's pretty amazing, Ken. It's in, one of the things that uh, Anthony and I talk a lot about on this podcast and, and in our other podcasts is about you know trying to get out there and find your niche no matter what it might be. And obviously you've been successful in finding yours. It's really is amazing to hear that there's nobody else out there focusing on what you're focusing. So congratulations on that. And we should all be honored to have you on here because it's going to be a great conversation and really unpacking what it has to do with with regards to clear contact. You know, you mentioned something, I think uh, you used the word dismal. You're kind of uh, explaining maybe somebody might be thinking about contracts. Many of the listeners out there probably view contracts as, if not dismal, at least a necessary burden, and maybe dismal is the right word that they use. What do you consider is the essence of a contract?
2: Well, people have built careers out of answering that question, but uh, I suggest that a contract gives the parties an opportunity to figure out, and state as explicitly as necessary, what each expects from the other. They can consult that roadmap in performing under the contract, and if things don't work out, they can consult the contract for the rules on how to resolve the dispute. That's my uh, thumbnail sketch.:
1: Good definition of contracts are, and I know that uh, a lot of the engineers that are out there listening on the show today deal with contracts in just about every aspect of the business and the work that they do are going to be familiar with contracts, and they all each probably have their own opinions on some of the challenges, but From your perspective, what do you see as some of the challenges with traditional contract drafting?
2: I've built a career out of answering that question. Contracts are precedent-driven. When a new transaction comes along and you need to create a contract for it, the urge is to look to contracts done for comparable transactions. That should be a source of efficiency, but word processing isn't good at capturing that efficiency. The result is what I call passive drafting. You're copying and pasting precedent on faith without a rigorous set of guidelines and without training. So traditional contract prose is dysfunctional. It's confusing, wordy, and archaic. It's not a matter of, oh, the lawyers understand it, but we, the clients, don't understand it. No one understands it.
1: Well, I think it's actually a pretty key point because uh, I'm familiar myself with some contracts, and I would say that a lot of them, just as you highlighted are are copy and paste uh, type documents that that oftentimes contain prose that clearly just makes design I don't understand it. That's definitely a problem that a lot of us are are bumping up against. And I know that from looking at your your bio and some of the conversation we've had you know before the show that that you have a, a good amount of also international experience and have dealt with general trade organization contracts, specifically such as those from the International Federation of Consulting Engineers or FITIC. What's your opinion of these contracts, maybe as an example of some of the challenges that exist with these traditional standardized contracts?
2: In 2013, I did a blog post pointing out some shortcomings in the language used in one of the FIDIC contracts. You can find it on my blog by searching for FIDIC. Like any contract that uses traditional language, the drafters constantly made bad choices. For example, instead of using consistent verb structures to express whether you're dealing with an obligation or discretion or condition or something else, the verb structures are all over the place with too much shall. Here's just one example. The employer's personnel shall have the right of access to all these documents. What category of contract language is that? It's discretion. So use instead may. The employer's personnel may access all those documents. But more to the point, access to those documents would be controlled by the contractor. So instead, I'd impose an obligation on the contractor. The contractor shall give the employer's personnel access to those documents. That, multiplied by a thousand, is what I do to refine contract language. The problem with traditional contract language is that it results in delay and confusion at every stage in the contract process, wasting time and money. It also creates confusion that can lead to fights. When I pointed out these problems to people at FIDIC, they said that the FIDIC contracts were created by engineers for engineers. That might sound like a nifty slogan, but in fact, it's a little odd. Imagine saying that a set of contracts relating to, uh, say, rights to music were created by artists for artists, or that lending documents were created by bankers for bankers. I don't think that inspires confidence. Contract language is limited and stylized. It's best if you leave it to experts.
1: Pretty interesting that they would say that it was created by engineers for engineers, and uh, that's really interesting. Now, FIDIC documents are ones that uh, I'm a little aware of them. I know of FIDIC, and I honestly can say that I've not had the opportunity to deal with their contract documents specifically, but ones that I'm a little bit more familiar with, which I I know that uh, you've just recently had a chance to take a look at, are the ones that come from the National Society of Professional Engineers, yeah, they've also produced a series of standardized contract documents for engineering design and construction projects. I'd just be interested to hear your initial take on how those rate uh, with regards to language and clarity.
2: Yeah, I had a quick look at uh, a couple of examples. Um, they're not great. They're traditional. Here's a phrase I selected at random from one of them. In respect of all covenants, agreements, and obligations of this agreement, that's random and archaic. And it's in a provision called successors, assigns, and beneficiaries, that's substantively dubious and redundant. So I think I could give those contracts a serious workover.
1: It's just a good warning signal to everyone that's listening out there that uses any standardized contract documents for any of your purposes that basically doing the copy-paste function or inserting name here and date there isn't necessarily probably the best route to go. And if you have legal counsel and should have, in normal cases, legal counsel involved, you all may want to consider taking a look at the contract document, the language that's in there, and making sure that it is relevant and applicative to the situation that you're truly in, and that that actually you, the one that's sitting there looking at it, understands what's on the paper. So that's a good point, Ken. One aspect that I know that's important to uh, every project engineer, whatever work that they're doing is going to be the schedule. And along with scope and cost, it comprises what we call the magic project triangle that every one of us wrestles with to create successful projects. So with regards to schedule provisions and contracts, how standardized do these tend to be? And what does an engineer or contractor need to be aware of with regards to imposed contract requirements and then their rights when it comes to these types of provisions?
2: Well, the schedules tends to be where the particular deal points are. So schedules tend to just be very different from project to project, but I've just one general point regarding schedules. Remember that they're part of the contract. If something wouldn't make sense in the contract proper, it's not going to make sense in the schedules. For example, I've encountered schedules that refer to assumptions. I suggest that assumptions don't make sense in a contract. People tend to to treat the schedules as something that's tacked onto the contract, and and the legal people worry mainly about the contract proper, and the the engineers about the schedules, and the result can be that there's a kind of disconnect. So just remember, they're all part of one document that is subject to the same sorts of constraints in terms of how the language works.
1: Schedules is one component that I know engineers and project uh, managers are, are pretty interested when it comes to contracts, but another one that's specifically of interest to engineers, probably everyone that's on the, listening to this podcast, has to do with regards to indemnification clauses. What are these and what do engineers need to know or be aware of with regards to them?
2: Well, I'll give you a little taste of issues related to indemnification. For one thing, many people think that you should have indemnification in every contract. In fact, it makes sense to use indemnification only when the remedies available under law don't work. For example, because you're dealing with a potential liability that otherwise isn't covered. So ask yourselves, do I really need indemnification in a particular contract? Then, in terms of how indemnification provisions are worded, often they're a mess. But usually they're a mess. For one thing, don't use the phrase indemnify and hold harmless, which is utterly standard. Hold harmless is a mystery phrase with no settled meaning. If you use indemnify and hold harmless, you're asking for a fight, and such fights occur pretty routinely. Instead, just use indemnify, and here's the important part, say what the deal is. If you're drafting or reviewing a contract, you have the power, you have the responsibility to make sure it says what indemnification covers. It's reckless to instead expect the smoke and mirrors of indemnify and hold harmless to do the work for you. So make it clear, for example, whether indemnification covers just claims from non-parties or also covers claims between the parties. On my blog, I have a post entitled My Indemnification Language. It's in the indemnification category, a few items from the top. With tough love from my readers, I've refined it over the years, and uh, your listeners might find it helpful.
1: We'll get that blog post also linked up on the show notes for this episode as well so that people can easily get to it and get themselves navigated over to your site. I think uh, after the interview, I'm going to be doing some light reading over there on your uh, website to get myself up to speed on this, so I appreciate it. With that, I have one final question here for the main segment of today's show, and that is, how might you suggest that civil engineers should approach reviewing contracts?
2: It's best to be an informed and skeptical consumer of contract language. In terms of the pros, most contracts are a mess. Learn to distinguish between what's clear and effective, what's not so clear but you can live with, and what's confusing and could cause a problem, or what doesn't reflect a deal, and so needs to be fixed.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: All right, now it's time for our CE Hot Segment, and which in today's episode is going to be brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. So engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam, and hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had the chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses, and it's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your engineering career. Now, PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast just use promo code CIVIL at ppi2pass ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com. And use promo code CIVIL for the 20% discount. Okay, Ken, so to close out today's interview, I have two final questions for you. And uh, the first one is really going to be, uh, what do you think is a, a good general resource that you might be able to recommend for the engineer listeners out there to go to, maybe a book to obtain? that can help them increase their knowledge about contracts.
2: I haven't had much occasion to consult texts on engineering contracts, but one thing I can guarantee, unfortunately, you won't find, find clear and effective contract language in them. That's the case in all disciplines. People ask me what contract language I can recommend, and I have to tell them none. I'm kind of depressing that way. But if you want to become familiar with the building blocks of contract language, and what works and doesn't work, there's my book, A Manual for Contract Drafting.
1: We're going to link that up in the show notes, but can I just went over today and uh, visited Amazon and put my hands on a copy of it. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that.
2: Lucky fellow,
1: I'm sure. No, truthfully, I actually am looking forward to getting it. So I appreciate that. All right, so I've got one final question. It's the standard one that we ask uh, here on the Civil Engineering Podcast every time, and it's our, our critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. And so if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had literally like 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them some career advice in that short period of time, Ken, what would it be?
2: Okay. I think this is important. Don't assume that contracts are for lawyers. There's little about contracts that's purely legal. and That's mostly the boring dispute resolution stuff. Lawyers have taken charge of contracts, mostly because the lawyers are good at taking control of things. But contracts are about the deal. So anyone who knows about the deal and how to express the deal can take control of contracts. And that certainly includes engineers. And you can probably do a better job than most lawyers have.
1: That's actually brilliant. Uh, I really appreciate that advice. It's good advice, not just for a young engineer, civil engineer, but really any of us that are out there regardless of what point you are in your career trajectory so Ken thank you for that advice and thanks a lot for joining me today where can our listeners go and learn more about you and the work that you're doing
2: i have a website adamsdrafting.com for my writings including my blog and my seminars and i have another website adamscontracts.com for my consulting business my book a manual Style for contract drafting is available in print and ebook formats from Amazon and elsewhere.
1: For all of you that are listening on the show here, you can go and find the show notes for today's episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. And there you're going to find a summary of key points that were discussed in today's episode. And you're also going to find links to all of the different websites that uh, has been mentioned. We're going to link up the uh, specific links uh, to the blog post that, that Ken mentioned over on his blog as well as provide you with links that can get you to his book, uh, A Manual of Style for Contract Drafting, make it easy for you to get there and find all these great resources. And uh, also, if you come on to the civil Engineering website, you can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. Uh, Anthony and I monitor all the comments, and we're going to respond if you leave us one, and we're going to be looking for them. So i really appreciate it. Until next week,
0: I wish you all the best in your civil engineering endeavors.